we're in series here across the universe, and um, I, I want to start by just reading this, this uh, it's kind of Advent season leading up to Christmas, so this is a classic Chris, Christmas passage. It's Matthew chapter 1 about the birth of Jesus. Listen to this. Matthew chapter 1. That's it. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. You might be wondering, well, why would he divorce her if they're only pledged to be married and they're not fully married yet? And the answer is this. Uh, in, in first century Jewish culture, uh, marriages happen in two stages. You're pledged to be married, you're betrothed to, to one another, um, but it was, you weren't fully married until you consummated the marriage, which usually happened a year or two later. Um, it's kind of like our engagement period, except with our engagements, if you want to call it off, you can just call it off. In, in, in first century Jewish culture, you were legally in the covenant already, so you could only get out of the, the, the first stage of marriage through a divorce. So that's where Mary and Joseph were. You're married... But in that period where they haven't yet consummated it. Now, so for Mary to be, be found to be pregnant during this stage was scandalous for, in first century Jewish culture. And that was the grounds for divorce. So Joseph was going to divorce her, but as quietly as possible, because he didn't want to bring too much disgrace on her. Though it's hard to keep this sort of thing quiet in first century Jewish culture. Now, I'm sure Mary, at some point, tried to explain to him, Joseph, I didn't sleep on around. I, the, the Holy Spirit came on me, and that's why I got pregnant. Uh, but Joseph clearly uh, didn't believe her. Yeah, right, the Holy Spirit. Uh -huh. So this is what happened then. Next passage. But after he had considered this, after Joseph was thinking about divorce, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. You should have listened to her in the first place, moron. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, just like she told you. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means Yahweh saves. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. For he is going to be God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she had given birth to a son, and in obedience to the angel, he gave him the name of Jesus. I'll get back to this passage in a little bit. I want to start with just sharing three experiences. First, um, I've shared this before, but when I first came to the Lord and when I was 16 years old, I came uh, by way of this kind of radical Pentecostal church. And those of you who come from Pentecostal backgrounds or just heavily charismatic backgrounds will probably be able to track with this. Our belief was, or our assumption was, that you find God in sensational experiences. Uh, our idea was basically that you could tell the degree to which the Holy Spirit showed up in a service by how crazy things got. And so when people got really excited and, and people started running the aisles and shouting and screaming and jumping over pews and speaking in tongues all over the place, maybe he's being slain in the Spirit or twirling in the Spirit or laughing in the Spirit or whatever in the Spirit, cartwheels in the Spirit, well, that was a good service. God showed up there. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, it's like, man, that was a great service. God was really there because people are crazy and, and, and having great experiences. And I don't want to, you know, demean great experiences. I, I, wow experiences. I've had a few wow encounters with God and miraculous things like that, and I thank God for them. But, see, if Jesus is our 
clue to what God is like, and he is. He's the exact representation of God's very being, Hebrews 1.3. If, if that's true, then we shouldn't think that we're going to find the greatest revelation of, of God's glory in the wow experiences. As wonderful as they might be, that's not where you're going to find the most profound aspect of God's glory. Okay, secondly, last week I talked about um, uh, the universe, and, and, and we, we looked at this vast, incomprehensibly vast universe, 95 billion light years across, and light travels at 186,000 miles per second, 6 trillion miles in a year, and yet going at that speed, it would take you 95 billion light years to get across the universe, and it's got 200, some 200 trillion galaxies, a trillion is a billion billions, and a billion is a, a thousand millions, and, and a million is a thousand thousand. That's a lot of galaxies, and each one of them has billions and billions of, of stars, suns. Uh, and, and about two-thirds of them are bigger than our sun, some of them millions of times bigger. And, and that just, as the Bible says, it declares the glory of God. You see something of the grandeur and the majesty and the power and the magnificence of God in this incomprehensibly vast creation. But as glorious as that is, if Jesus is our clue to what God is like, and he is, if Jesus is the exact representation of God's essence, then as wonderful as the heavens are in declaring the glory of God, we shouldn't think that that's where we're going to see the most profound dimension of God's glory. Uh, third experience is this. Last Friday, or the Friday before this last one, I came to this tap party that we had here at the church hosted this TAP party. TAP stands for uh, uh, Tapping All Potentials or All Possibilities. And it's a beautiful ministry. Uh, they, they, they minister to people with mental uh, and sometimes physical challenges, disabilities. Um, and this is a population of people who are, tend to be quarantined, right? Uh, they, they have paid attendance with them, but rarely are they just mixing it up with people who don't have that label. And the philosophy of TAP is simply this, that, look, we all have got abilities and disabilities, uh, and so let's just have a party where we all come together and forget about the labels. The labels are just labels, and let's just be people and, and give these, chance of, uh, these folks a chance to just mix it up with, with other folks, and, and they throw a party, and it was fantastic. I, I feel honored that we get to host this party. By the way, there's going to be another TAP party on January 14th. Mark it down, and if you're able to get out there and join this uh, crowd, do that. Um, you just come around and hang out with, with these folks and, 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 and dance with them if you want or play video games with them if you want. Or They had a, this WWF room where they could watch wrestling if that's your gig. Uh, and, and you can do that with them or just sit around and eat popcorn. It doesn't matter. But it's just a, a beautiful, beautiful ministry, and, and I really am so happy that we're able to, to, to host this. So at one point, I don't do video games and I'm not into WWF wrestling, but uh, they had a little dance hall. They had a, a disco ball and they were playing some really good dance music and I like to dance. So I, I went over to that area and there's this young lady there who was just sitting there. And so I just said, hey, would you like to dance with me? And she got so excited. Uh, she just got so excited. She stood up and we were on the dance floor and, and, and we just kind of just wiggled to the music. You know, it was, it was just so fun. And it, the wonderful thing about this kind of environment is that uh, no one cares whether you're dancing right or not. There is no right or not. You could, you, you could do anything here and you're going to blend right in. It's kind of like a Pentecostal experience. It, it, be, as, be as silly as you want. You know, it's, it, there's no judgments about anything. And so it's, it's just, it was so fun. And then after a couple of songs, uh, some other folks joined us. A mother and her daughter came out there and they were shaking it, you know. And, and then some other folks joined in. It was just a great party. Uh, we went on for about nine or ten songs. By the time I was done, I was just drenched in sweat. But it was beautiful, and at some point, as I'm looking at this young lady, and she's just so full of joy and having so much fun, and I'm having fun, it, it felt like a sacred moment. Like God is with us on this dance floor. God is here. 
in a beautiful, beautiful, profound way. Now, there's nothing wow about this. There's nothing sensational, nothing mind-boggling, no oohs or ahs. This isn't going to get in the newspaper. It's not going to make anyone's book. It's not going to be televised. It's, by world standards, a, a very insignificant thing. Two insignificant people at an insignificant party doing some insignificant stuff. But I'm telling you, God was there in, 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 in some ways. That God would be present in such a small, tiny event made it all the more glorious. Uh, and in, in a way that the magnificence of the stars and the wow experiences we have with God in, in a way that they don't do. And that shouldn't surprise us because when God comes to fully reveal himself, he doesn't come in a wow and he doesn't come in the big and sensational and fantastic and mind-boggling. He comes as this little baby. He comes in, 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 in what's tiny and what's minute and what seems very, very insignificant. He comes in the form of a seemingly insignificant baby born to this insignificant Jewish unwed teenager in first century uh, Bethlehem. Uh, he, he's, the, he's, the, he's the God who is most magnified in the tiny. Now, to, to appreciate that, we've got to realize that just how much that contradicts everything else that goes on out there and everything else that people have believed about God. Uh, like, throughout history, humans have always had a sense that we are totally at the mercy of some power that's infinitely greater than ourselves. This is like this, this intuition. The bigness of things just, and our helplessness has made us aware that we're, we're just dependent and at the mercy of a power or powers that are over us. And, and so we've always tended to associate God or the gods with the big and the wow and the sensational and the fantastic and sometimes the terrifying. I mean, because people throughout history haven't known about the character of that power, the character of the gods. Um, in fact, people have tended to think that the gods are pretty much just bigger versions of ourselves. And so the, the, the idea that we're totally dependent on them and totally at their mercy, they can do anything they want with us. They've got a power. They can torture us if they want, squish us, boil us, you name it. And so we've been terrified at this power that's over us. And that's how religion gets born. At least that's one of the reasons why religion gets born. It's a way of alleviating this terror. Are the things that we can do that will please the gods or appease the gods to ensure that they're not going to squish us, maybe even get them on our side when we fight enemies. And so religion devises these ways of feeling like you're secure before the gods. Uh, the most common way is through sacrifices. Uh, if we sacrifice some of our harvest and, and, and some of our livestock, and unfortunately, it got to the point where they sacrificed some of their children. If we sacrifice for these gods, well, then they'll know how loyal we are. And we'll prove our sincerity to them. And, and, and uh, uh, in, in some cultures, the belief was that you're feeding the gods. You're giving them food. Eat, eat this child so you don't eat the rest of us. Eat, eat, eat this lamb or whatever you sacrifice. And, and uh, in some ways, they, they believe that this is a way of appeasing the gods. They're mad at us. And if they're mad at us, give them something like a scapegoat, something they can be mad at so they don't squish all of us. And so here, take out your wrath on our firstborn child. Take out your wrath on our livestock, but don't take your wrath out on all of us. And this has kind of been the general view of God or the gods throughout all of history. Um, we've been terrified by the gods. Now, and really, this goes to the heart of, of our human condition. Because at the heart of all that's wrong with us is a false picture of God. Uh, you look at Genesis 3, it tells a story of this, where, where the first thing the enemy went after was, was Eve's mental picture of God. 
And, and he suggested to Eve that God isn't this trustworthy God that's got your interests in mind. He didn't tell you not to eat of the tree of good and evil because it's bad for you. No, he did it because he doesn't want any competition because it's good for you and he's trying to prohibit this. And, and, and he painted this picture of God as this sort of Machiavellian, Machiavellian tyrant, this manipulative tyrant, uh, conniving, deceiving. And Eve ends up, Adam and Eve end up believing this monstrous picture of God. And so then they act on it and that's when the rebellion begins. And they even hold this monstrous picture of God after the rebellion. You can see that by the fact that when God shows up, they hide from him. They're terrified of this God. Now, they were just walking in the cool of the day with him a little while earlier. They were, he was their friend, and they hung out together. But now their perception of God is, is jaded. And so they're afraid of God, and they hide. And then they feel like they have to make excuses for themselves, and they end up blaming one another. You wonder what would happen if, if they would have trusted the character of God and, and just said, sorry, we apologize, have mercy on us. Maybe the thing would have gone down very differently. But they were terrified. And they passed that terrifying picture of Yahweh on. And, 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 and so throughout the generations, this false picture of God gets passed on. You can see it right in the next chapter, in chapter 4 of Genesis. There's Cain and Abel. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Cain and Abel feel like they need to make sacrifices. Um, God did, there's no record of God telling them to make sacrifices. They just have the sense that humans have always had, and that is that, we are at the mercy of this God, and, and not all is well between us, and he could just squish us if he wants. So we got to do something, and so let's kill something, or let's just you know, sacrifice something, and maybe that will please and appease him. And so throughout the generations, we find that was the first sacrifice made, and then from then on, we find sacrifices going on and on and on. And the picture of God gets more and more jaded. In time, they, they lose the understanding that there's one God, they think there's a multitude of gods up there, and they have a character that's basically the same as us, and so the, the, their character gets more and more terrifying, which means the sacrifice has got to get more and more severe, and so they start offering up their children, and that's the history of religions. See, God's not a Machiavellian tyrant, and you can tell that by the fact that he didn't let us just go in this darkness, in our self-induced darkness of this deceptive picture we have of him. He didn't just let us go. What he did, he's not a Machiavellian tyrant, so he doesn't come down and just lobotomize people so we believe the right things. He won't do that. He always respects the personhood of people, so he works by means of influence rather than coercion. And he starts with Abraham, and then he continues with Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, this is why it takes 2,000 years, because he doesn't just come in and coercively change people's opinions. He influences them in a certain direction. And this is what you find throughout the Old Testament. He reveals as much of his true self as they're able to take, but that also means that he has to accommodate their false pictures of him as much as necessary. And that's the, the, the Old Testament is the record of that. But in all of this, he's moving people towards, he's laying the groundwork for the time when he can finally show up and give the, the, the full revelation of what he's really like. And so he, he chips away at our false pictures of God throughout history. This long, slow, patient process. But then in Christ, we begin to find the, with the, with the, the, the true picture of what God actually looks like. And when he shows up, well, it's not what anyone expected. When the light shows up, it exposes the darkness. When the truth shows up, it exposes just how wrong our previous views have been. When God shows up, it's clear he is indeed a power that's infinitely over us and could do anything he wants with us. And we're totally dependent on him and totally at his mercy. But when he shows up, he doesn't show up in, 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 in the wow and in the big and the, the spectacular or the terrifying. He shows up in the tiny and the small and the insignificant. This is the true revelation of, of what he's really like. He shows up as this little baby. He, he has all the power in the universe over us. Uh, but when he shows up, he makes it clear that he doesn't want us to be terrified of him. Because he shows up as this cute, innocent, helpless little baby 
Not at all what anyone expected. Now, we, we hear that. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, and even if you haven't probably, you hear that story a lot, and we forget about how it contrasts with everything else that's out there. And we, we, we get over-familiar with it, and it kind of loses its radical edge. We can, we can get dull to the spectacular nature of this, this message. So right now, I want to give yourself a lobotomy. Forget everything you know. Pretend like you're just a pagan off the street. Up to this point, you've been trying to feed the gods, all right? And, and you're terrified of the gods. And so pretend like you don't know anything about anything. For some of you, you're saying, well, that's pretty easy. <laughs> no. uh, so here, here for the, try to hear this for the first time. You just walked in the door, and you hear the message. There's one God who created, who spoke into existence this incredible 95 billion light year across the universe with its 200 trillion galaxies, and it holds every molecule of that universe in, in, in existence moment by moment. That God, out of love for a lost and dying race of people, became a little tiny baby. I just try to hear that. Let it sit. That God became this little innocent baby. Maybe some visuals will help. The God who, who created this also became this. Became one of us. God with us. Jesus would have looked something like that. And the God who created this galaxy, hundreds of thousands of light years across, with billions of stars holding it in existence on his little pinky, that God became this. A little adolescent child. Jesus would have looked something like this. And the God who spoke into existence and holds in existence this entire universe, this unfathomable, vast universe filled with all these magnificent burning suns, that God, while he continued to do that, he became this, a little child. Jesus would have looked something like this. In fact, before, before God became this tiny child, God became this. It's a human zygote, a newly fertilized egg. No bigger than the the tip of of a pin, a pinhead. The fullness of God dwelt in Christ. The fullness of God who holds this universe on his little pinky is packed into this little zygote. He becomes microscopically small. And see, in this way, he's revealing his glory. Not in the wow and the sensational and the big and the majestic, but in the tiny, the microscopic. And he, he, he's not just God infinitely over us. He's God intimately close to us. He's God with us because he's God who's one of us. And he's God with us as this little pinhead zygote inside the womb of this insignificant teenage unwed Jewish girl. And, and he's God with us as this growing embryo inside of a womb. And then he's God with us in this, this, this newborn infant, helpless newborn infant. And then he's God with us in this toddler and God with us in this adolescent, God with us in this young man who's a Jewish carpenter. He's a God who comes down to our level. Into, as, 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 as was said earlier, closer to us than our bones. He, he's one of us. And then most glorious of all, we find out why he becomes small when we realize that this carpenter's son became our savior. The God who created the universe, the God who created this universe, show that universe again. The God who creates this and holds this in existence becomes microscopically small for the purpose of giving his life for us on Calvary. So that God becomes this on the cross. He's not only with us in our humanity, he's with us in our fallenness, with us in our sin, with us in our destiny, with us in our condemnation, with us in our shame, with us in the horror that sin brings about, and he bears it all on himself. 
Think about this. The God who creates all things, holds it all in existence, super big, becomes microscopically small for the purpose of giving his life for us. Which is why, by the way, you don't understand the meaning of Christmas unless you see how inseparable it is from, from Good Friday and from Easter. Uh, the one completes the other. And so he becomes microscopically small for the purpose of, of, of manifesting his love by going to the cross. God, the all-holy God, becomes our sin. He, he stoops an infinite distance to become one of us and then stoops even further to become our sin. And the, the God who's perfectly united in himself as Father, Son, Spirit, perfectly united love, he becomes our God forsakenness. He experiences separation from himself on Calvary, which means that God couldn't possibly in all eternity have gone further than he went on our behalf. He did everything that was absolutely possible in order to restore a relationship with us. And see, the unsurpassable distance he crossed and the unsurpassable price he was willing to pay reflects the unsurpassable perfection and beauty of the love he is and reflects the unsurpassable perfection of the love that he has for us, praise God. And I submit to you that while the universe is great, yeah, the universe is great and spectacular with trillions of stars and it reflects the glory of God. And while peak experiences, wow experiences are wonderful if they're authentic, that that's wonderful. You know, have all the revivals you want. But I submit to you that the power and beauty and the glory reflect in the wow experiences and the, and the expanse of the universe doesn't hold a candle to the glory of the God who reveals himself by becoming small and then entering into our hell and our shame uh, because that reveals the love of God, the perfect love of God, hallelujah. And there's nothing in the universe and nothing in time and space and nothing in all of history that is more beautiful, more spectacular, more mind-blowing, more glorious than the fact that the God of this universe would do that for me and the God of this universe would do that for you. There's nothing more he could have done that he didn't do. There was no price he wasn't willing to pay, no pain he wasn't willing to suffer, no extreme he wasn't willing to go to on our behalf, and yet he was willing to do it. And that, folks, is glorious. It's spectacular. It's fantastic. You know, no human can make this up, because we know what it looks like when humans make up religion. We, we got examples of that throughout history. It looks like big versions of ourselves. This doesn't look anything like that. This is a God whose glory is... Who would make this up? It's revelation. A God whose glory is revealed when he, when he takes on our shame. A God whose bigness is revealed in his becoming microscopic. <laughs> whose transcendence is revealed when he becomes as close to us as possible. A God whose beauty is revealed by taking on our ugliness. A God whose power is revealed by becoming a weak little baby and then a helpless crucified criminal. It's, it's too beautiful for words. A, a, God, a God whose sovereignty is revealed, most gloriously revealed, when he becomes our servant, praise God. This is a God whose beauty outruns anything we can conceive or think or imagine, praise God. And wow, experiences are wonderful. Hallelujah, you have them. But I submit to you, there's nothing that can compare to the experience of a person who even gets a glimpse, a little glimpse, a tiny little glimpse of the truth that God loves them with a love that has no bounds and has no limits, it has no conditions, it has no qualifications, it has no exceptions, praise God. A love that defies our understanding, it defies our imagination, defies our knowledge of praise God. A, a love that, that, that does not waver. A, 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 love, a love that it was willing to do anything and experience any pain and pay any price to be in relationship with little you and little me. Praise God. Nothing compares to that. It's the most glorious fact in all of the universe. And human beings don't make that kind of stuff up. Praise God. Now, it, when you get a glimpse of that, it changes everything. How could it not? But I don't quite have enough time to talk about everything, so I'll limit myself to a few things, all right? Um, I, I'm going to just share a couple ways that I think we can get 
benefit more by getting on the inside of this thing. First of all, it's so important that you just accept. Just accept that the God with us includes you because you're one of us. God with us includes one of you. The thing is this, that, that, that the same mindset that tends to associate God with the big and the grand and the spectacular and the terrifying, that, that, that same mindset is inclined to think that God is most in love with or at least most interested in people who are big and spectacular and exceptional and wow. And, and, and if, if you're not one of the big exceptional wow people, then you can feel like you're not that significant to God. I have met so many people who, who have this... this this mindset. They maybe think God loves them in a general sense because they're part of the crowd that God loves. God so loved the world and I'm on the world, so yeah, God loves me and they're thankful for that. But it doesn't, it doesn't lock in personally. Why would I matter much to God? They can get why God would be interested in the, the movers and the shakers and the healers and the preachers and, and the saints, you know, but they're not that. They, like so many people in the world, have, have, have the name Justa. You ever met anyone named Justa? They're all over the place. People's name is Justa. You get to know them, and they'll introduce themselves with, uh, I'm Justa. I'm just a housewife. I, I, I'm just a regular guy. I'm just a mechanic. I'm, I'm just a salesman. I'm just a Justa, Justa. I'm a, or maybe it's, I'm just a loser. I'm just a sinner. I'm just a nobody. I'm just somebody who doesn't want to, I'm just an average person. And why would God be interested in average? Why would God care about that? And so, yeah, they appreciate that God loves them in a general sense, maybe, but it just doesn't jazz them that much. It doesn't, it's, it's not personal. You've got to know, oh, you've got to know that God is with you. Know this, that, I mean, it's always important to ask yourself this, this question. What picture of God are you presupposing in whatever thought or feeling or behavior you have? What, what picture of God do you have? Because I submit to you that every thought, every feeling, and every behavior that we have that's not in line with, with God is based on a false picture of God, which leads to a false picture of ourselves. What picture of God is presupposed in this idea that I'm just a? Uh, it, it, it presupposes a picture of God that's more like an employer, like God's an employer, and, and the universe is this corporation, and you're an employee. So like any employer, God's impressed with those who can really put out, those who can perform, those who go beyond the call of duty, those who are exceptional, the wow, the pizzazz. Yeah, they get the rewards. And for people who, don't, who are just average, he's not so impressed. And for those who don't, aren't even average, well, he's kind of mad at you. That, that, that's the picture of God that is presupposed in the just mindset. God's love is conditioned and his interest is conditioned uh, by, by what you produce, what you perform, what you accomplish, all of that. As though God were a performer. I'm here to tell you this morning that God, the God revealed in Jesus Christ, is not your employer. He is your lover, praise God. He's a lover of your soul, and that love is not conditioned on what you perform or put out or anything like that. He's your lover because he's love. He is that. That's his being. The cross reveals what he's actually like in his inner being. And so his love for you doesn't depend on what you've done or haven't done or produce or don't produce or perform or haven't performed or how you look or don't look or how rich you are or poor you are, how holy you are, how wicked you are. It doesn't vary. It's not affected by that. It, 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 it comes on the just and the unjust. You are right now, I don't care, no if answer buts, you're loved with an everlasting, perfect, unwavering, unfathomable, incomprehensible love. Accept it. Just accept it. Just, just accept it. And maybe you have the fence that, oh, that sounds too good to be true, and it doesn't feel true. I get that. Because anything that, that collides with the way you've always thought is not going to feel true. You identify reality with your thoughts. So you have a very important decision to make, most important decision of your life. You can either trust your feelings and your thoughts, your brain, in which case you're going to be trapped the rest of your life. You, you, you can't escape your brain. So if you trust your brain, you're locked. That's, the, that's, the, that's how the enemy works. 
But your brain is brain damaged. You're damaged goods. We all are. You've been fed lies from the day you were born, and you've got all sorts of false programming in there. Why would you trust something that's damaged and misprogrammed? You're screwed up. Don't trust yourself. No, here's a different idea. Might consider. Maybe, just maybe, just maybe, just maybe, your creator knows a little bit more about you than you do. So trust him. Trust him. And see... Put aside your feelings. Who can just observe them? They're there. So what? They're a result of your damaged brain. Don't get mad at it. Theirs is there. But don't trust them, but rather take this picture of God that's revealed in Christ. And it's also a picture about you because he ascribes you unsurpassable worth. And start programming your brain with that. Start living in that narrative. Start integrating it. It takes a lot of intentionality to start reprogramming this. But if you do this, you'll find that your feelings eventually begin to change. And now, sisters and brothers, you are on your way to freedom. Uh, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free, praise God. This is the ticket to freedom. You got freedom from that brain of yours. And it starts by not trusting it, but trusting what God says about you. Amen. Except, just make the choice, however it feels. Make the choice. I'm going to believe this. And start walking in that. Except that the God with us includes you as much as it includes anybody. And you're on your way to freedom. Number two, look for God in the small and the tiny and the unexpected places. God can be found in the wow, and God can be found in the big. Yes, praise God. But, but taking our cues about what God's like from Christ, we should especially be observant to find, to look for God in the insignificant, the insignificant little cracks in our life that easily go unnoticed, uh, in the small places, in the unexpected places. If you have your eyes open and your heart is, 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 is full, you might find God is dancing with a girl with disabilities uh, in the most beautiful, profound ways. Some ways more beautiful than the stars in the sky and, and, and peak religious experiences you might have had. If your eyes are open and your heart is full, you might find God playing with your kids or playing with your grandkids. You might just discover God in a beautiful way that brings you to tears as your, as your child or grandchild showing you a new somersault trick they learned or showing you a paper, there's a drawing they're so proud of that you can't make any sense out of what it is. But, oh, that's me. Oh, wow, I'm good looking. But, but there's, there's a beauty and there's a beauty all around us. There's this insignificant beauty that's all the more beautiful because it's so insignificant that God cares about this. You can find God petting your dog. You can find God mowing a lawn. You can find God knitting a scarf for a friend or, or even better, knitting a scarf for an enemy that you want to make a friend. You can find God in the most intimate, profound ways if our eyes are open, in, 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 in a tree blowing in the wind, in, in a song, in a smile, in the look of an eye. Look for God in the small, tiny, insignificant places because he's there. He's there. And those insignificant moments become profoundly significant because God is with you in that moment. Also look for God in, in the most unexpected places, places where you think God would not hang out. And in Acts 15, they tell the story about how uh, you know, the early Christians were all Jewish, and then the Gentiles started getting in on this, and it, it created this big controversy. Uh, do we need to make the Gentiles live by the law the way we Jews do? And some said yes, and some said no. So they started fighting over it, and they had a big council on it, and you find that in Acts 15. And it was pretty intense. But at, at, at the end of it, James, the brother of Jesus, stands up. And he's kind of the spokesman for this group. And he says, it seems good to us and to the Holy Spirit to just put these four requirements on the Gentiles. It seems good to us and to the Holy Spirit, which presupposes that as they were arguing and fighting, the Holy Spirit was there. The Holy Spirit was working through their conflict. We sometimes get this prudish, prissy picture of God that he just likes to hang out in nice, neat, clean places with nice people who get along. No, 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 no. 
if the cross reveals anything, it's that God loves to dive into our mess and nastiness and arguments and ugliness in order to make it beautiful. He dives into our darkness in order to shed light. And so look for God even in places where you'd least expect to find him because he's there and sometimes you'll find the beauty of a God who's present with you in the worst of circumstances, in the most ugly circumstances. He is there and he can make things beautiful, praise God. So look for God in the small, tiny, and unexpected. And the final thing is this, and how important this one is. I got four minutes. <laughs> Holy Spirit, give me the gift of succinctness. That'll be a miracle if that happens. Here's the thing. Uh, remember that you're in the image of this God. You're not in the image of some random God out there. You're in the image of this God. And this is a God who, whose love compels him to go to radical, radical, radical extremes. This is a God who's an extremist. If it's loving to do, he's an extremist at doing it. This is a God who goes all the way, and you are made in his image, which means that you have inside of you, it may be buried, it may be wounded, it may be damaged, but you have inside of you, and you know you do, a mechanism that wants to go all the way. You have an all-the-way mechanism inside of you. It gets damaged, it gets laughed at, it gets downplayed, it gets buried, but it is there, and I'm calling on us to get in touch with this. We're made in the image of a God who's extremist, who wants us to go all the way. Uh, now, the, the pushback is that we live in a fallen world that tries to normalize us and, 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 and condition us to this category of normal, you know, which by definition is mediocre. You fit in with a crowd. Mediocre, I learned this this week, and now we're going to have a Latin lesson. Ready to learn some Latin? Mediocre comes from the combination of two words, medius, which means halfway, and ocre, which means a rugged side of a mountain. And so this word is based on this metaphor of stopping halfway, halfway up a difficult mountain. Oh, you quit. You're just a, you're just a person who goes this far, no further. And, and, and say that that's right in the middle. That's where most people are going to be. And so you're normal if you're close to that. Folks, normality is way overrated. Uh, in fact, normality doesn't even exist. Who made up this word, this concept of normal? Someone invented this thing, normal, and, 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 and it was arbitrary. It's a social construct. This goes back to the whole tap philosophy. And, and so there's this thing, normal, and it's created so we can feel like we're on the inside club and whoever doesn't qualify for that is abnormal. But it doesn't exist. Get rid of that idea of normal, all right? You're made in the image not of a normal God. We know what normal gods look like. This isn't one of them. Okay, this is a, a God who would become a zygote, a growing embryo, a carpenter's son, and then our savior is not a normal normal God. So abandon the idea of normal and be an all the way kind of person, praise God. I challenge this this morning to will you ask the Holy Spirit to put a fire under your butt to get up the other half of the mountain. God doesn't stop halfway up the mountain. In fact, find me one story in the Bible where God met someone halfway up a mountain. <laughs> this may be coincidence, but he always meets him at the top, praise God, because he's a go to the top kind of God. In fact, he faced an incredible mountain, if you think about it. When it came to reconciling us, there was a mountain before him. It was a mountain of our captivity to Satan, a mountain of our sin, a mountain of our rebellion, praise God, a mountain of our, our bondage to death. But he, he, thankfully, he didn't stop halfway up that mountain. He went all the way to the top of that mountain. And the top of that mountain is called Golgotha, where Jesus Christ was crucified. And we are made in the image of that God, an all-the-way God, a God who never is mediocre. He's anything but mediocre. In his love, he goes to extremes. And so we have asked the Spirit to put a fire under your butt, to, 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 to tap into the, your all-the-way mechanism. And, 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 and are you willing to go all the way with your faith? Not to one of these people who's got one foot in the door, one foot out, trying to do the minimal, trying to just get by, just to want to make sure I go to heaven. No, 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 get all the way in. Uh, he's an all-the-way-in kind of a God. Are you willing to go all the way with your life and all the way with loving others and all the way with sacrificing others, however God leads you in sacrificing for the kingdom? Are you willing to go all the way with whatever calling you have in life? Are, are, you, are you an all-the-way husband or just kind of a mediocre husband? Are, are you willing to pray the prayer of God, help me be the most Christ-like, 
husband I can be, or the most Christ-like wife I can be, or the best friend I can be, the best child I can be. And whatever your calling is, pray that God helps you be the best plumber you can be, or the mechanic you can be, or the nurse you can be, or whatever your calling is. And if God puts a passion on your heart, go with it. If, if there's something that's there, all the way button, and you've got a dream, maybe it's going back to school, maybe it's starting a new career, maybe it's a new business adventure that you're feeling like you're supposed to do, maybe it's a new relationship, I don't know. There's always fears there because there's always risks. Sometimes you have to pay if it costs you something. But we're made in the image of God who is willing to take risks and is willing to pay a price. Don't let fear condition you into doing normal and doing safe and doing middle of the road. No, 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 no. If something's on your heart, go for it. Go for it. It may take time and it may take a lot of sacrifice, but you'll find that you are most fully in the image of God when you're living in the all-the-way mode. When, you're, when the pedal's to the metal and, 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 and you're not backing off and you're going for it and you're not going to stop till you drop, praise God. That's when you're in the image of God. You're manifesting the glory of God. I love it. Irenaeus, the second century theologian said, he said, the glory of God is a human being who's fully alive. Fully alive. We serve a living God. Be fully alive. Be fully alive. Don't let the world beat you into vanilla. Uh, don't just be middle of the road safe. Think of it. Okay, I'll, uh, I'm going to end with this. <laughs> Hopefully. Uh, God made us to be these souffles or these, these, these sundaes, right? Uh, ice cream sundaes. And, and don't be a vanilla ice cream sundae. No one goes to get ice cream sundae and just gets vanilla ice cream. Maybe you do. You're lactose intolerant or something, but... but but look, look, if you're going to be an ice cream sundae, uh, don't be vanilla. Be rich chocolate with, 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 with snicker bar crunches put inside and some, some peanut butter cups put on there and, and covered with all this hot fudge and, and this ice cream, all this mounds of ice cream and sprinkles all over the place and some cherries all, all on. I mean, be, uh, be, be, the, be the ice cream sundae that you were meant to be. And it's not vanilla. It's spectacular. It's wonderful. In your own way, you may think you're small and insignificant by normal standards, but hogwash with that. We're all small and insignificant, but God is glorified by loving the small and insignificant, which means none of us are small or insignificant. Yes! Hallelujah! Be the rich chocolate crunch-filled ice cream sundae you were meant to be. So folks, you're, you look for God in the small and the tiny. Really, keep your eyes open, keep your heart full. Know that, and just accept, however it feels, accept that you are part of the us, that God is with us, and that you are important to God. You're not just loved in a general sense, you're loved in a particular absolute sense, and you're important to God. And know that you're in the image of a God who goes all the way. Go all the way. Amen. Whatever God puts on your heart, go all the way with it. Will you stand? As we leave this place, I just want to give us this commission. Just know that you are not a Justa. You've never been a Justa. You're never going to be a Justa unless you believe your brain. So stop believing your brain because you're not a Justa. And as we go out of here, we all face mountains. Life itself is a mountain. And it's a rugged one. Sometimes it gets really tough. But do not stop halfway up the mountain. Do not. You're in the image of God who goes to the top. So make the commitment. You're going to believe what God says, and you're going to get to that top or, or, or until you drop. And go all the way. Be fully alive. Be this ice cream sundae that you were meant to be. Man, do I mix metaphors or what? God bless you guys. Go climb some mountains.